The president's absurdist argument amounts to this. We must endanger national security to protect national security. We must make a president's conduct threatening our security beyond the reach of impeachment power if we are to save the presidency. This is dangerous nonsense. As justices of the Supreme Court have underscored, the Constitution is not a suicide pact. On Tuesday, the impeachment trial of President Trump began in the United States Senate. It's the third such trial in U.S. history, and as predicted, opening day was marked by bitter partisan attacks and party-line votes defining the rules for the proceedings. But since an impeachment is a political, not legal, proceeding, can the American public have any expectation of a fair trial, where evidence and testimony are supposed to be adjudicated impartially and based upon the law? And seeing the battle lines clearly drawn for the days ahead, is this what the Founding Fathers had in mind when they wrote Article 1 of the U.S. Constitution? Hello, I'm Arnand Naidu. Welcome to The Heat Podcast. To help us better understand what to expect from President Trump's impeachment trial is Lincoln Mitchell, a political analyst and adjunct associate professor of political science at Columbia University. He joins us via Skype from New York. Lincoln, welcome to the podcast. Thank you for having me. It's a pleasure. Let's start with the impeachment. Deciding to remove a president, a sitting president, is one of the most important constitutional responsibilities given to the U.S. Senate. So how is that this legal procedure for such a decision can be so vague? I mean, we're talking about undoing the will of the people here. Uh, It's really left to the whim of the majority, isn't it? Is this what the founding fathers had in mind? Well, much of the Constitution is vague. I mean, the United States Constitution, for a document that we speak about so much, you know, you can read it in 20 minutes if you want to. So there's a lot of vagueness in there because they realized they were setting something in motion. So that's that's not the real problem. The problem, as I see it, is that what the founders, when they crafted the Constitution, these were, I think we would all agree, very, very smart people taking their work very seriously. But political parties, in a real sense, didn't even exist. So if you were crafting a political system at any time in the last 100, 150 years, you would be thinking about political parties. They weren't. Political parties evolved and they and partisanship has gotten stronger over the over the years and particularly over the last 30 years or so. And that's where we find ourselves now, where partisanship is driving the impeachment, not the law and frankly, not even politics, just partisanship. Which side are you on? And if you look at something as important as this, removing the president, you would think that it would be at least a little bit of unanimity about what these uh, senators uh, have in mind right now. But we are seeing these battle lines drawn and divisions even deeper. It's, it's actually quite extraordinary. I mean, before Trump became president, if you had asked most Americans who paid attention, admittedly a small number, a small proportion, to kind of lay out what impeachment was, it was understood that the House of Representatives acted as the grand jury. Is there enough evidence of the wrongdoing for which the president is accused to remove him from office? Not should he be removed, but is there enough to really pursue the question further? And then the Senate would act as the jury in a more trial setting. And, you know, that system, there's some logic to that. It's not perfect, but there's some sense to that. What we've seen from the Senate, and to be clear, the Republicans, the 53 Republicans in the Senate, it's not that they think that the president either is innocent of the charges or the charges aren't severe enough. Rather, they don't want a trial. They want to limit the amount of time and they want to limit the evidence that's admissible and they want to limit the people who can the witnesses. So if you had a trial for anything, shoplifting, you know, up to murder, if you said we're going to do this with no witnesses and no evidence, you wouldn't have a trial. And that's essentially where we've arrived. The, the, the evidence from the House will be admitted somewhat. 
But that's essentially where we are when we say there's no witnesses. So as you point out, you know, this is a very partisan affair. Uh, we see a lot of debate on Tuesday uh, about the rules for this proceeding. I mean, is, is any of that really, does it mean anything? Because we know the outcome already. Right. It is, a, it is a, an impeachment or, or a trial, if you will, without any suspense. It does mean something. What the smarter people in the room understand is that this is about the next several months. So this debate over the rules is not so much, you know, Chuck Schumer and the Democrats who are in his caucus, they understand they're not going to win this, but maybe they can damage Trump enough, not that he'll get impeached, but that he'll be weaker going into the rest of 2020, particularly the election. And the Republicans want Trump to be able to come into February, the State of the Union, and after saying not just I've been acquitted by the Senate, but that I've been acquitted by a Senate in a way that people don't see as just a cover up. And right now, it looks like the Democrats are winning that fight, but not by much. Trump's lawyers and the House managers, these are the people conducting uh, the case as prosecutors. They're presenting two starkly different views on why the trial is taking place. Let's listen to Trump attorney Jay Sekulow, who was on the floor of the Senate on Tuesday. Why are we here? Are we here because of a phone call? Or are we here before this great body? Because since the president was sworn into office, there was a desire to see him removed. I remember in the Mueller report, there were discussions about, remember, insurance policies. The insurance policy didn't work out so well. So then we moved to other investigations. I guess you would call it reinsurance. And here we are today. Now let's hear a response from one of the House managers. Uh, this is the Democrat representative, Hakeem Jeffries of New York. Why are we here? Let me see if I can just posit an answer to that question. We are here, sir, because President Trump pressured a foreign government to target an American citizen for political and personal gain. We are here, sir, because President Trump solicited foreign interference in the 2020 election and corrupted our democracy. We are here, sir, because President Trump withheld $391 million in military aid from a vulnerable Ukraine without justification in a manner that has been deemed unlawful. We are here, sir, because President Donald Trump elevated his personal political interests and subordinated the national security interests of the United States of America. We are here, sir, because President Trump corruptly abused his power and then he tried to cover it up. And we are here, sir, to follow the facts, apply the law, be guided by the Constitution and present the truth to the American people. That is why we are here, Mr. Seculo. And if you don't know, now you know. So there we have very two different views, Lincoln, uh, talking about the impeachment of Donald Trump. Uh, question is, who's right or can both of them be right? Well, in some respects, both of them are right. I mean, Congressman Jeffries is kind of laying out very clearly what the case is. And, and you know, I think anybody who's paying attention understands those facts. And they can choose some, a third of the American people have chosen to live in a fantasy world, but for the rest of the people, they kind of accept those facts. What uh, Sekulow is saying is, is quite notable because he's saying that from the beginning, there were people who wanted to remove Trump from office. And that is in fact true. What he's leaving out is that there are very good reasons why people felt that way. You know, the, the Trump's violation of the emoluments clause, which is essentially that he enriched himself through his relationships with foreign powers while in the White House and while preparing to be in the White House, is alone grounds for impeachment. Clearly, the Mueller report found grounds for at least an impeachment inquiry, and Mueller more or less said that. So the fact that people have been wanting to impeach Trump for a while 
doesn't mean that he's innocent. It's also striking in, in what Sekulo said that he said, we're not here because of a phone call. What the uh, House investigation revealed very, very clearly is that this was not just one phone call. If Trump had simply said you know, that phone call, but then there was no other evidence that he was trying to get Joseph, get the Ukrainian government to investigate Joseph Biden, you know, you could kind of say, okay, it was a, he probably shouldn't have said that, but it's not worth impeaching. What the House found very clearly is that the scandal around that phone call was actually quite enormous. And it included people like cabinet uh, secretaries, like Rick Perry, like presidential cronies and gadflies, like Rudy Giuliani, but secretary of state was involved, people in, in other positions in the state department. So Sekulow is trying to focus on one phone call, but that's not what this is about. But that's what you have to say if you're trying to defend the president right now. There is one opinion which we hear in the United States. I, I hear it from a, quite a few people, which says that, look, what the president did was wrong, certainly, but it doesn't rise to the level of him having to be impeached. What strikes me is I don't hear that as much as I thought I would. If you were a Republican senator, that is the position you can take. Look, it was wrong. He, he screwed this up. He's new at this. He shouldn't have done that, but it's not an impeachable offense. But instead, what you hear a lot from the people in Congress is it was a perfect phone call which tells you the extent to which they are simply uh, beholden to Trump the person, or they simply just want to defend Trump the person. Because a Trump that came out of this saying, you know, he's, this was, he shouldn't have done it this way, but it's not impeachable, you know, would be politically damaged, but would be okay. But you don't hear that much from the senators. You may hear that from a lot of Americans, because that's a plausible kind of rationalization for those Americans who, you know, they support Trump, they like the economy, they want to vote for him, but they're smart enough to know that this isn't how you really should conduct foreign policy. But the problem is that the House found that it goes so much deeper than that, right? If the House investigation turned up the truth, if people like ranging from Gordon Sunland to Fiona Hill to Anthony Vindman were telling the truth, this is much more than an honest mistake by a rookie president. I want to get back to something you said earlier, Ron, and that is that we know the outcome uh, of this process that's taking place in the U.S. Senate right now. Uh, the Democrats know that as well. The Republicans know it. So the aim right now on the part of the Democrats is to hurt this president's chances of being reelected in November. If that is the case, what stops this being used as a political sledgehammer by any party in the future? You know, if you have a party in the House of Representatives that that's different from the one uh, that the president belongs to, they say, you know what, as it comes to election time, let's introduce impeachment uh, charges against the president. No matter what, we can hurt him that way politically. Well, you raise a good point. And I remember shortly after the election, I was sitting with some longtime Democratic activists actually in California. And we were talking about, you know, will the House impeach? I don't know if the midterm had happened yet even, but if the House get the majority, will they impeach? And someone sitting around the table said, if Hillary Clinton were president, the House would have impeached her already. So on the one hand, there's some truth to what you say. But remember, there are political consequences. If the Republican House, after taking back the House in 2010, had sought to impeach Barack Obama just because they didn't like him, first of all, he would have been acquitted in the Senate and it would have politically backfired on them. So it is a, it's a political calculation. And what the Democrats calculated is that the evidence here is so overwhelming that it's not going to cost them anything to impeach him. And in fact, it might cost them if they didn't. Because of sitting on all this evidence, Nancy Pelosi had said, well, we just can't do it. You know, the Democratic activist base would have said, you're allowing this criminal to just stay in the White House. Why did I vote for you in the first place? So it's not quite that simple. But there is the potential for that. And, you know, what we what we don't really know from the Constitution and from the Federalist Papers and all the discussions is, you know, we've had an impeachment trial three times. That's once, roughly speaking, once every 80 years, although the last two have occurred more frequently than that. Did the founders expect impeachment to occur once every 80 years 
or once every 20 or 30 years. We don't know. It's one of the tools that, that we have for a president who acts this way. Now, the other thing about impeachment is that impeachment does not overturn the outcome of an election because the elected vice president would take over. And that's another reason. Why would the House, you know, in 2010 bother to impeach Barack Obama if he just get Joe Biden? So so it's, it's a different kind of a, of a tool in that sense. If we look at the proceedings uh, in the U.S. Senate so far, there's been a lot of debate over the rules of these proceedings. What's going to be admitted as evidence? Can we call witnesses? Can witnesses be asked certain kinds of questions? Why is all of this so important? Well, because the Constitution doesn't say much about what an impeachment trial should look like. And like many things in politics and even in life, the process drives the outcome. So the bit about witnesses is very clear. If we go through another few days or weeks or hours or whatever it is of some of these same people being called again, the Fiona Hills, the Gordon Sondland's, possibly new witnesses, uh, Mick Mulvaney and John Bolton, we've heard those names. If that happens, the Republicans would still have enough votes to acquit probably on a party line vote, but it would be very, very bad for Trump and very, very bad for them. Because then once again, the American people would see that this is simply just a cover up. And those Republicans in close states, if you are Susan Collins, a Republican senator from Maine, Cory Gardner, a Republican senator from Colorado, these are the two kind of most endangered Republicans going into the 2020 election. They want this to get this over as quickly as possible. And if we look at the political implications of this, if the it is the intention of the Democrats to hurt uh, Donald Trump politically and his chances in the 2020 election, how's that going so far? Because the polls have barely moved as far as his approval rating is concerned. Well, I want to just raise something else. The Republicans also have an agenda here, right? Their agenda is to help President Trump but moreover, and perhaps most importantly, their agenda is to send a message, and they have to President Trump, that we will support you no matter what. And that's particularly dangerous, what the post-acquittal Trump presidency looks like. He has been given a get-out-of-jail-free card for essentially the rest of his presidency by the Senate. So you could certainly see an uptick in illegal activity, an uptick in efforts to, to, to limit uh, democracy. As far as, let me just try to answer your actual question, though. A normal Republican president, to the extent that such a thing can exist anymore, with this economy and with, you know, the United States certainly in no more international conflicts than they were in January 2017, would typically be up five to six points and five to eight points in the polls and the election would be would be all but over. The fact that it's this close with this economy is because of the negatives that the voters have in their heads about Donald Trump. So in that extent, it, it is working. You know, right now, if the election were held today, according to all the polls, Trump would lose to almost all the major Democratic nominees. Now, they might the numbers show it might be a little better for Biden than Sanders or this one than that one. But he's losing in these polls and he's losing in all these key industrial Midwestern states, not Ohio, which is kind of, I think, red for, for the future, but Michigan, Wisconsin, and Pennsylvania. He's really behind there. And it's hard not to see not just the impeachment process, but the revelations of the dishonesty and the criminality. And an impeachment, of course, uh, Lincoln, is very different from a normal criminal trial that we see in the country's courts. This charge that has been made against the president, that he picked up the phone and called the president of Ukraine and tried to get some dirt on his political opponent, really nobody else in the country could get charged with such a thing, can they? Well, nobody else in the country could do such a thing, right? Right. I mean, I can't call the president of Ukraine and say, hey, investigate, you know, he, he, he wouldn't take my call. And that's why the framers crafted the Constitution this way. They are very clear. You don't have to break the law because you can't write laws for every potential way the president could abuse power. So to give an example, which is just kind of an easy example to understand, there was a long discussion in the House uh, inquiry about the firing of Marie Yovanovitch, who was the ambassador, the U.S. ambassador to Ukraine, who was 
a pretty strident anti-corruption actor. So she kind of knew what was going on there, a very smart woman. And at one point, the Republican questioners kept saying, is it illegal to fire the ambassador? And if you, anyone who understands the law knows that, of course, it isn't. The president can fire an ambassador for any reason. But if the president, and I'm not just a hypothetical, any president fired every sitting ambassador and put in, you know, their friends, you know, with whom they grew up or their business partners or just the 200 biggest donors to their campaign, that would be completely legal. It would also be an abuse of power and it would endanger American national security because you can't have complete novices in some of these posts. You can in some, but not all of them, that it might be an impeachable offense. So it's very clear. Abuses of power don't have to be illegal because you can't write a law because only there's certain powers only the president can abuse. Looking at this uh, impeachment, how do these rules, what we've heard so far and the uh, schedule laid out so far, how do they compare to uh, previous impeachment trials? Well, remember, we've only had two. Yeah. right? And one was, you know. 150-ish years ago. So that, to me, just that's not relevant. You know, they're saying these are the Clinton rules, but there was a difference. I mean, I guess I would say there was a similarity. In 1998, you know, when the impeachment for, of Bill Clinton happened, similarly, like everyone knew the outcome. They knew it wasn't a serious offense. The difference was a third of the country just kind of hated Bill Clinton. But the, the overwhelming kind of strain in the media was that this is a Republican power play, whereas today there are certainly people on the right saying this is a Democratic power play. But there was also a much broader realization of an un underlying act that is an impeachable offense. And that wasn't the case in the 98. So the rules probably should be different this time. Here's another point, uh, Lincoln, which uh, may be difficult for some people outside the United States to understand. Uh, the jurors in this trial will be the 100 senators in the U.S. Senate. Uh, among them are four Democrats who are fighting to be the Democratic nominee to go up against Donald Trump in November. Isn't this a conflict of interest? Shouldn't these four senators recuse themselves and say, well, look, you know what, we can't really make a decision here because that's our opponent. Well, among the other 53 are several people who have said very clearly, I do not see my role as being a fair juror, right? My job here is to quit the president. So, you know, this is the problem making the Senate, the, the jury, right? A lot of people have said things. I mean, Mitch McConnell, why, why is he leading this, the Republicans on this one? He said he doesn't believe in having a fair trial, right? Same with Lindsey Graham. We could list lots of Republican senators. He said, look, Elizabeth Warren said when this all started that of course he should be impeached. Now she didn't say he should be removed. So that's a little different. You know, you, they could have created a system where the Supreme Court adjudicated this trial once the House impeached, but they didn't. That was not what the founders did. And there were reasons for that. No one really envisioned the Supreme Court becoming quite as powerful as it is. In referring this to the uh, Supreme Court, is it a problem that the nine men and women who sit in that court are not elected? They appointed. Right. Well, it's, it's, it's a problem that because, you know, it just isn't the way the Constitution was written. The framers set out to create this very delicate separation or sharing of powers. And they wanted to kind of distribute the powers in, in kind of complex, but more or less complementary ways between the three branches of government. However, Article One is the legislature and the Senate is the upper body of the legislature. And they envisioned this as a very thoughtful, deliberative body. Now, we're not seeing that on display in Washington this week or this century. But that is how they envisioned it. And to some extent, these structures don't work anymore in that way. Uh, it is likely that the country will be even more divided uh, as this impeachment trial continues. So one of the questions being asked is, why not leave it to the people of the United States? There's going to be a huge trial coming up in November. The entire country will be voting on that. Leave it to them. One, because of the specifics of this case, and, and because of what we know about Russia's role in 2016 election, and we know without getting too much into the specifics that the reason that Donald Trump made this phone call with Zelensky goes back to his questionable and, and disturbing relationship with Russia. 
So the, the act that precipitated the impeachment inquiry raises the question of whether we can have free and fair elections. So with someone who, according to Robert Mueller, I mean, I know that Bill Barr wrote a letter that said this wasn't true, but if you read the Mueller report, Donald Trump, at the very least, knew and didn't stop Russia from interfering with our elections. To go forward with giving him another opportunity to do that is a mistake. And then secondly, the Constitution says that the president can be impeached for abusing his office. And the Constitution, it creates a system where the people elect representatives who are then empowered to make decisions, but also where all of the people and their representatives are governed by laws. He has abused that power. He has violated his oath of office, and therefore he is a danger and should be removed. And if you believe 70 percent of what you heard in the House impeachment inquiry, that's a pretty compelling argument. Let's look at the politics of all of this for one moment. President Trump was in Davos in Switzerland uh, earlier this week where he attended the World Economic Forum meeting. He was asked by a reporter there about the events back in Washington. He said, look, when I look at this, the U.S. economy is doing really well. Unemployment is at a historic low. We have seen growth. Uh, I'm here in Davos doing the people's business. I want that economy to grow even further. And what are the Democrats doing? All they are doing is concerned with getting me out of power. And he keeps calling it a hoax. There's two very different political visions on this, isn't there? Yes. And when I teach, I wrestle with this, too, because you speak about the country being polarized. And of course, that's true. But but that suggests an equality. And it's intellectually dishonest to, to say there is. I know you're not saying that, but maybe you are. I don't know. But it's it's not as an academic, as, as someone who scholar. I, that's not honest to say that. Right. This is not a hoax. The economy is doing well. I mean, the, one can hold those two thoughts in one's head at the same time. And that is why impeachment works the way it does. If Trump were removed, and we know he's not going to, but if he were removed, Mike Pence would take over. And I promise you, these Democratic activists, they don't love Mike Pence either. But he would make the same big picture economic decisions that Donald Trump has made. So it wouldn't be Nancy Pelosi would become president if Donald Trump were removed. So this notion that it's a hoax, you know, that that's Trump's answer to everything. And we've now had several years of him saying it's a hoax. And then in the face of mountains of evidence that suggests, no, it's not a hoax at all. But the reason he keeps saying it's a hoax, is that he's never had a majority approval. It's keeping his base happy. Do the legal protections and exemptions that we're seeing uh, that, that are being afforded to uh, this president, or any sitting president for that matter, do they actually stand in the way of justice being served? I mean, is this really uh, what we're seeing here? Does it create a sort of regal presidency that George Washington warned us about? It will. It will. I mean, this. You know, Robert Mueller said, I can't con- indict the president because... It's not we're not allowed to. But of course, that was an internal Justice Department memo. If Robert Mueller had recommended indicting the president, which is clear that that's what he wanted to do, and that's what he enough evidence to do, that would have been challenged. Right. The, the problem now is that what we are seeing is a system where as long as if you're president, as long as you get 34 senators to support you, you can do whatever you want. And that's the direction that Trump is moving. And that's the, that will be accelerated after this acquittal. And that is very, very dangerous and moves us towards a kind of super presidential system, which is exactly what our founders did not want. Not just George Washington, but all of the founders. Lincoln, thanks so much for joining us. It was a pleasure. Good talking with you. Lincoln Mitchell is a political analyst and adjunct associate professor of political science at Columbia University. The Heat is produced by CGTN America. Our executive producer is Atirath H. And the senior producer is John Gilmore. Our guest producer was Zena Al-Shahib. Joshua Barlow produced today's podcast, and our director of digital development is Michael Shigori. Once again, I'm Arnand Naidu. Thanks for listening. Do you have a comment or question about today's podcast? Send us an email. You can find us at heatpodcast at cgtnamerica.com. 
And please, if you like the heat, help spread the word by subscribing, rating or leaving a comment with your favourite podcast provider.